I have to start by saying that there's not one of the five natural senses that the Lord has given me that I would be comfortable with losing. I enjoy the ability to hear in case you talk about me. <laughs> I want to be able to hear what you said, how you said it. In our generation today, everybody communicates predominantly through text and email and, and whatnot. And I don't like that so much. I like talking on the phone because I don't just want to hear the content of your speech. I want to hear the tone. How you say what you say can say a lot. I enjoy the ability to feel the nerve endings in my fingers and toes that allow me to distinguish smooth texture from rough texture and cold from heat. It's important not to be numb, but to be able to, to feel. I enjoy the ability to smell. You know, science has proven that when you smell something that's pleasant to you for the first time, that your senses literally capture the emotional state you were in in that moment. And it, that same smell can take you back to that moment 30 years later. You'd be walking through a place and smell an apple pie and it take you back to when you were eight years old in grandma's kitchen and you smelled that apple pie. And, and all of a sudden you get this feeling like a warm blanket coming over you because the smell took you back there. It's amazing things. Or, you know, you, you walk through a department store and you smell the cologne or the perfume of that person that you used to. <laughs> Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> but smell, it's, it's amazing. But of all the senses that serve me and are beautiful gifts to me, I must confess to you that my vision is the most precious to me. Without vision, you wouldn't be able to see what's in front of you or what's around you. We're all dressed up this morning, looking nice, smelling good. A lot of us know each other, feel real comfortable in here right now. But if all the lights went off and the doors were covered up and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, you wouldn't feel comfortable staying in here very long because you wouldn't know who was around you and what are they doing. There's a vulnerability with being trapped in darkness and not being able to see. And of all the miracles, if you're a note taker, note this, it's a big one. Of all the miracles that Jesus Christ performed in his earthly ministry, three and a half years, healing people with a withered hand, cleansing the lepers, unstopping deaf ears, raising the dead, the one miracle that he perpetuated more than any other was the healing of the blinded eye. Because the removal of blindness was an icon, an anthem of his ministry that he came into the world to restore sight to the blind, not just naturally, but spiritually. And he used healing the blinded eye naturally as a teaching tool and as a metaphor of how he came to give us spiritual sight on the inside. Because the scripture says without a vision, people perish. That if you don't have a vision, if you can't see where you're going, there will be destruction that takes place in your life. And this is true for everything. You need a vision for your life. You need a vision for your relationship. Nobody, nobody gets married starting out and wants to get a divorce. Oh, very few people get married. <laughs> There's a few scandalous folks out there, but very, very few people get married going into it, planning on getting a divorce. They didn't, they didn't want things to fall apart. They didn't want things to break down. The problem was they didn't have a vision. They weren't going in the same direction. There wasn't a unification of purpose 
and vision. And without a vision, a marriage will perish. Without a vision, a family will perish. And it's not limited to spiritual things and to family things. Without a vision, a company will perish. I was driving down FM 78 the other day. How many people are familiar with FM 78? I was driving down FM 78, and I passed a building that used to be one of my favorite buildings when I was a little boy. Blockbuster Video. Oh, if I was real good and did all my schoolwork on Friday afternoon, daddy would get me and take me to Blockbuster Video. And they had a five video limit. You could get five videos. And going in there and picking them out was part of the process. Nope, not that one. Here, read this one. Nope, not that one. And, and then you get up to the, to the counter and all the young people are looking at me like, what are you talking about? What is a video? You get up to the counter and they had that popcorn, you know, in a bucket. It it looked like the movie theater popcorn. They had the Twizzlers and all the candy. And, oh, I mean, it was a treat to go to Blockbuster Video. And Blockbuster Video was everywhere nationwide. They traded on the New York Stock Exchange. They had the market cornered but didn't have the vision to see Netflix. And this little dumb upstart internet company that would send you some scratch DVDs in the mail had the vision that took down an industry giant. Because Blockbuster had the money, they had the capital, they had the stock, they had the power. They just didn't have the vision. And without a vision... It don't matter how strong you are now, without a vision, if you don't know what tomorrow, what next month, what next year, if you don't have the vision in your life without a vision, people people perish. In our text, Jesus is passing from one town to the next. John chapter 9, verse 1 says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. This piece is, is important. This man has never seen. Now, it's one thing if you were born, you had your vision, Maybe, maybe for 10 years of your life, and then you go blind. You lose your vision. Your mind would still have the images that your eyes saw while you had your vision. So your mind would have pictures in it. If, somebody, if, if you had lost your vision and you were blind, but somebody was talking about the stars, you may not be able to look up and see the stars, but you can imagine what it was like when you saw them before. So imagination works, your imagination works, by taking all of the images that you've seen, and then your imagination gives you the power to mix them up if you want to. Like if I told you to imagine an elephant with a lion's head, you could do it. Why? Because you've seen an elephant, you've seen a lion, and you can mix and match in your imagination. But if you had never seen, then your mind is totally dark, has no pictures to draw from, no images to conjure. So you're totally dark to anyone's descriptive words. There's no point of reference. This man had never seen. He couldn't go into the theater of his mind and put any images up. He had no point of reference. And therefore, he becomes a teaching tool that the text wants to show us about ourselves. One of the reasons why Jesus Christ had to come. Because the human race was also born blind. Not in the natural but we were born blind to spiritual things. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden and mankind was born into sin after them, we came to this earth spiritually cut off from the things of God. So there was no imagination. There was no imagery. There was no understanding of spiritual things. We were totally blind to it, totally cut out of it. 
unable to see and comprehend what God was doing in the realm of the Spirit. And Jesus came to restore our spiritual sight. To give us the ability to see the world that is beyond the limitations of this natural world. To give us the ability to realize that there is something out there that this world came from. That the spiritual world is the parent world through which all things that we see now were birthed out of. He came to restore our sight. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from birth. And the other thing I, I like about this particular verse is it says that, that he, he saw a man who was blind from birth. He, he saw him. He saw him. And when Jesus saw him, he wasn't just looking at the exterior silhouette of the man on the outside. When Jesus saw him, he had the ability to see his timeline to see his whole life, to see every intricate detail, everything that had happened to him, all of the things that he had gone through and was going through, he really saw him. And that's why so many of us, so many of us are so lonely. We're lonely with people all around us. Because there is a desperation set in the human heart that desperately wants somebody to be able to really see you. We crave true intimacy. And if you break that word intimacy down, into me, see. Would you please just see? But other human beings don't have the ability to do that. When people see you, they're not able to see the whole. They're not able to see everything. They pick out whatever's going on with you at the moment. If you're being good, they think, oh my goodness, you are awesome. And they put you up on a pedestal that you can never stand up to. If they see you being bad, they mark you as this terrible person, as if all there was to you was negative and bad and evil things. They don't realize that it's not just black and white. There are shades of gray to every single one of our personalities. Look at you sitting there looking at me like you ain't got no shades of gray. I don't care what you say, there's some shade in the room. I can smell it, I can see it, I can feel it. You ain't good all the time, and you ain't bad all the time. You ain't right all the time, you ain't wrong all the time. Your character is the culmination of all of your successes and all of your failures. All the times you were right, all the times you were wrong. All the good things that you've done and all of the bad things that you've done. It's a mixture. And what I love about Jesus is he sees the mixture. You saw some mixture and you called me a hypocrite. But Jesus sees the mixture. And what I love about him is he doesn't just look at what you do. He knows why you did it. See, people look at the things that you do, but they have no idea why you did it. And I love this part of the text because it reveals that Jesus, he's just standing there, just, just seeing the man. Standing there, just observing where he's at, observing his timeline, observing all of the things he had been through, observing all of the things that were in his past and his present and his future. He's just seeing the man. And I want to share with somebody who's hurting this morning. God told me to tell you, he sees you. When your husband can't really see you, he sees you. When your wife can't see you, he sees you. When your lover, when the lover of your body can't see and understand you, the lover of your soul, Jesus does. He sees you. He sees what parents don't see, what children don't see, what loved ones don't see. He sees it all. And Jesus, he, he's, he's passing by, he catches a glimpse of this man, and he just turns and he stops and he just, he just sees him. 
And while he's standing there looking at the man, oh, I feel that he sees you. He, he knows why you took the turns that you took. Because even though you may have made a lot of mistakes, there wasn't totally bad motives in all of your mistakes. Sometimes you were just looking for a right thing the wrong way. And people will throw you totally out over the missteps that you make, not realizing there was some good intentions in there somewhere. But Jesus sees it. And while he's observing the man, the disciples rudely interrupt him in verse 2. And they said, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now I want to tell you something that I want you to keep with you. Opening up your mouth and speaking is very dangerous. Because when you speak, you allow others to see inside the paradigm and the thoughts that you have. And so when the disciples opened up their mouth and they said this, they revealed their thoughts and their paradigm about God, about Jesus, about themselves, and about the man. First of all, it's just plain rude. And rude is never appropriate. Because the man's standing right there with Jesus, and the disciples come up in earshot of the man, and they say, whose fault is it? Is it his fault, or is it his mama and daddy's that he was born in this ridiculous condition? They said to Jesus. They didn't sign to Jesus. They said the man was blind, but he could still hear. You ever had somebody talk about you like you weren't standing right there? You want to say, did you know I can see you? They said this to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Notice their mindset. Notice their paradigm. Their thinking is that God has punished the man with blindness, either because the man's parents were sinful when they conceived him, or the man had committed some sin and God therefore struck him with blindness. This reveals a couple of things. Number one, it reveals that they felt themselves spiritually and morally superior to the man because they weren't blind and he was. Sometimes people will look down on you because you don't have the same affliction that they have and you don't have the same weaknesses that they have. And so they're judging the man saying, surely we're better than you. None of us are blind. You're blind. What did you do that got you in this situation? And the other thing it reveals is it reveals that they thought they could explain away the problem that the man was facing in his life. Nothing gets on my nerves personally as much as people who have an answer for everything. Be careful with people that think they can explain every problem away or give you the insight of everything that's going on with you. It's the nature of the human heart to place blame. Those of you that are going through some pain, I want you to hear me. It's the nature of the human heart to place blame either on oneself or on those around you for the pain that you're going through. This is what the disciples did. Whose fault is it? Is it his fault, placing the blame on the man? Or is it the fault of those around him that he is in this situation? And many of you, you may not stand up and say, yes, that's me. But many of you have been caught in the crossfire of other people's blame. One thing goes wrong and everybody in the house points at you. It's your fault. It's your fault we're in this mess. It's your fault we're in this financial trouble. It's your fault this marriage is going bad. It's your fault these kids are going crazy. It is your fault because you didn't let the dog out at 501 specifically. And then the dog went crazy and chewed up all the furniture. And it is your fault. People love to do that. They love to explain away the problem by placing blame, especially if it's a big problem that's it's complicated and it has a lot of tentacles to it. 
And then, for those of you that aren't the recipients of other people's blame, there's a lot of people that, for everything in the world, they blame themselves. They self-mutilate. They cut themselves down for every single thing that happens in their life or in the lives of their family or the lives of their children. As if you were so powerful, the CEO of the universe, as if you controlled all things, as if you were that important that you could accept blame for the failings and fallings of not only your life, but everyone else around you. You ain't that big. Help me, minister. Touch somebody. Say, you ain't that big. That blame's too heavy for your shoulders. You ain't that important. You ain't that big. So Jesus, annoyed by the question in verse 3, scoffs at them. And he says, neither. Your question is, who sinned that this man was born blind? My answer to you is, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sin but the text turns on that butt right there look at his neighbor say it turns on a butt why y'all laughing it, it, it the whole thing turns on a butt it's not this man's fault it's not his parents fault but that the works of god should be revealed in him now, now listen to this. You could have expected Jesus to say, sometimes things just happen. Or you could have expected Jesus to say what Moses was talking with God about when God said, who made the lame? Who made the blind? I, the Lord, I have a purpose for it all. But, but no, Jesus said his blindness is somebody's fault. He said his blindness is a result of God. And he says, God made him this way so that he could reveal his works through the man's life. In other words, God chose this man to be born blind. Let him grow up blind all of his life because God knew that this day when he would run into Jesus was coming. And he wanted to use the man's weakness as a platform for Jesus to stand up on and reveal his power to heal. So he said this, this condition of blindness was done on purpose so I would have the opportunity to meet him at this time and give him sight. He goes on to say, I must work the works of him that sent me. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. In other words, Jesus said, I'm only going to be here three and a half years in the earth walking around ministering. And so I'm a healer, I'm a provider, I'm a miracle worker, but I need folks that are in need. Did you catch that? I need the need in order to fulfill and release what I am and what I have. So what good is a healer without somebody that's sick? What good is it that you can restore sight if you don't have anybody that's blind? What good is it that you can put homes back together if somebody's home isn't falling apart? What good is it that you're a provider if you don't have anybody that is in lack and financial trouble? What good is it that you can break the loaves and the fish and feed 20,000 people with a sack lunch unless you have 20,000 hungry people sitting in front of you that hadn't eaten all day? In other words, I need the cabinet the empty space to fill in it everything that I am so it's not his fault and it's not his mama and daddy's fault I allowed him to be born with this weakness so that I could manifest in him my strength could it be possible that the weakness you've been dealing with is nothing more than a cavity of opportunity 
that God allowed you to have so that he would have an opportunity to come in and fill you with his strength? Could it be possible that thing you've been weeping over and crying over, the thing that's been breaking your heart, could it be possible God allowed it to happen, allowed it to hurt you, allowed you to have to live with it so that he would have an opportunity to come into your life at the darkest time, at the weakest moment, and use your trouble as a platform to stand upon and say, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. It's nobody's fault. I don't know who it's for. It's nobody's fault. I let you be that way on purpose. Can you imagine this little boy's parents when he was born and he was born blind? Imagine the horror of knowing you're going to be raising a severely disabled child. The blindness would affect his learning abilities, his uh, sociological abilities, how he could interact with people, his earning potential. It would affect everything. Can you imagine the conversations and the planning that the parents had about their child? What are we going to do when we're too old to care for him? What are we going to do when we die? What's he going to do? What's going to happen? Because he can't see and he's never going to be able to see. He'll never be able to play like other kids and he'll never be able to work like other men and women. He'll never be able to have children of his own or be a productive member of society. They were saying all of the things casting the future that he would never do and all while they were talking about him God was standing up in heaven saying yes he will yes he will yes he will I'm just using the pain for a short while I'm just using the pain for a little while but somewhere on the timeline of his life he's going to encounter a meeting with Jesus and I'm going to use the weakness and the pain and the difficulty as a platform to show the earth I am the God that opens up the blinded eye I am the God that restores the sight to people who are in darkness so so let him grow let him deal with it let him carry it because the darker it gets in his life oh Jesus I said the darker it gets in his life I feel this thing the more hopeless it gets in his life the longer he goes without sight the more depressing it gets in his life that's that much more beautiful of a stage you're building for me because the light is the most beautiful when the night is the darkest God's strength is the most perfect when the situation is the weakest and if you're dealing with something that's dark and weak and terrible and causing you to ache, God sent me here to tell you he's going to use what you're going through as a canvas to display his mighty strength and power to deliver you. It's on purpose. It's on his purpose. It's on his time. But God is not going to leave you in that. He will bring you out. So he's walking by, he's walking by, he sees him. They said, whose fault is it? He said, it's my fault, because I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. And, and I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this. I'm going to use a freak accident with a pastor's daughter in Donna, Texas. To make two specialists out to be a liar and show the whole hospital staff what the power of faith in God can do. I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this. Pastor, they repossessed my car. He said, I'm going to use this. I lost my job. I'm going to use this. I don't feel like we can ever break the cycle and ever come out. I've just been stuck here so long and I'm sick of seeing the same thing day after day after day. He said, I'm going to use this to work the works of him that sent me. Or I'm going to use the weakness and the difficulty to manifest the kingdom of God and the power of God in that place in your life for everybody 
that's been dealing with something debilitating. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But God sent me here to tell you, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. The thing that you think takes you out and disqualifies you, that's the thing he wants to use. The worst part about you, the darkest part about you, that's the thing he wants to use. Pastor, there ain't no hope for this marriage. That's the marriage he wants to use. Pastor, there ain't no saving my kid. That's the kid he wants to save. Can you see the desperate God needing a canvas, needing a person, needing a life that he can manifest his power through? He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light. <laughs> I am the light. The third thing God told me to tell you is that the light is coming. The light is coming. To everyone in a dark situation, receive this prophetic utterance from the Holy Spirit of God. God told me to tell those in darkness this morning, the light is coming. You may be in the darkness of confusion, the darkness of doubt, fear, and unbelief, the darkness of depression, the darkness of a terrible relational situation. But God sent me here to tell you that the light is coming. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken... Verse 6, or when he had said these things in the New King James, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. A couple of things about this. This blind man had heard about Jesus, that Jesus was a healer, that he was a deliverer. This blind man had heard that Jesus had power to heal all kinds of people. He had just never encountered him for himself. He had heard about blind Bartimaeus, another blind man who was healed. He had heard about uh, all of the crippled and the people with the palsy that Jesus had healed. And so imagine this. You're a blind person. You've come into the presence of this healer, this person who heals people with all kinds of diseases, especially blinded eyes. And you hear him say he wants to work the works of him that sent him while it is day and he's going to heal you. And you get excited and you're standing there like, put it on me, Jesus. I'm ready for my change. I'm ready for my turnaround. And Jesus, Jesus walks up to him, and, and he, oh, he's going to heal you now. He's going to heal you now. Get ready. He's going to heal you now. And, 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 and all you hear is. <laughs> I got to be careful. I got a cold anyway. <laughs> Mike's about to get something extra on it. And you're standing there needing something from God. And he spits. One of, one of the most disgusting things you can do in public is spit. He spits on the ground. And then to make matters worse, he gets down in the spit and the mud, and he starts mixing it all up, making mud balls, spitty mud balls. Then he takes that mess and smears it on the blind eyes of the blind man. Revealing this principle that miracles and messes usually go together. Many times, if God's going to give you a miracle, right before the miracle comes, there will be an application of mess. 
puts the mess on him. And incidentally, by putting the mud on his eyes, he made the problem that was already bad enough worse. I'm already blind. As if I wasn't already blind, now you've put mud all over my eyes, ensuring that they don't work. And then, last point, he gives him an instruction. Now, if you want to do some awesome personal home Bible study, go through every miracle in the Bible and notice not one miracle takes place in the New Testament or the Old Testament without an instruction. With God, it is always the instruction that you choose to obey that determines the future you create. The scripture says in the book of James that faith without works is dead being alone. So God gives an instruction to the man. He says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man has to follow the instruction of Jesus while he's still in the darkness of his blindness. Jesus doesn't lead him to the pool. Jesus doesn't send a disciple to take him to the pool. He just tells the man, go. Go in the dark. And he makes his way in the dark to the pool of Siloam, following the instruction. I ran reference and study to this to the, the leper Naaman in the Old Testament. He was a general, he was of high esteem in the community, but he was a leper. And the prophet goes to him and says, if you will go dip in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be healed of your leprosy. And the problem was, is that the Jordan River at that time was being used to contain the sewage of the community. When it says that the Jordan River was filthy, it's not talking about that it's muddy. Every river is muddy. The Jordan River was filthy because it was a sewage container. And Naaman was insulted by the instruction because it sounded contrary to his human nature and self-preservation. Why would I take my leprous self, which is bad enough, and go dip it in sewage seven times? But the prophet said, it's up to you. I'm giving you the word and I'm giving you the instruction. And the instruction you choose to obey determines the future you create. Do you have faith to obey the instruction when it's given? And Naaman reluctantly, almost mad and furious that it went down in the Jordan. Lepers, leprosy all over, leper spots all over him. And he starts dipping. And I would have been furious after the third dip. I'd have been looking at all those spots thinking they would have started slowly disappearing, you know, one by one. And he dips the third time, still covered in leprosy. Dips the fourth time, dips the fifth time. The sixth time, he comes up and says to himself, I am an idiot. There ain't no power to this. There ain't no truth in this. This is totally against rationale. This is stupid. But I've already dipped six times. I'm in it anyway. I might as well. And he dips the seventh and the power of God touches him and the leprosy is gone. Because he had the faith to obey a strange sounding instruction. Over the course of your life of faith and walking with God, God will give you some strange sounding instructions notice I said instructions not commandments it's up to you it's a free will thing it's your choice but it's the instruction that you choose to obey that determines the future you create not the future God creates you create your future by the decisions you obey today and the are the decisions you make today and the instructions that you obey. So Jesus tells the man, he says, I want you to go. I want you to wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man goes, he washes in the pool, and the scripture says, and he came back seeing. So in recap, as you stand to your feet, and we prepare for the next portion of our service, which we're so excited about. We're baptizing so many people today and just thrilled about it.
just thrilled about it. In, in summary, I want you to take this with you. Remember what I said. It's a, the word of God's a seed. It'll get down in your spirit. It'll begin to produce, not just today, but over the next several days, the next weeks and months. If you're going through pain, I want you to consider that the pain's there on purpose. Don't begin to resent and hate the pain or those peripheral factors that caused it. Could be their own purpose to give God the opportunity to manifest his power through that situation. That's number one. Number two, God sees you. And if you're lonely and longing for that deep knowing of intimacy, no matter where you look and where you go, how you search, you'll only ever find one lover that has the ability to truly know you that intimately. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he's real and he can be experienced, he can be felt, he can be heard, he can be touched, and he can touch you. And then, don't be off-put by strange instructions. If you feel it's coming from God, if you feel it's under the anointing, step out in faith and just do what he told you to do. I was, <laughs> I was in Papa John's uh, a few months ago on a Sunday night. And on Sunday nights, I ain't worth shooting. I usually get up between 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning and start you know, praying and praying for you and going through all the things that I'm going to talk about and really working it out. And then we, we come here and, and preach and there's some stuff relating to the ministry that we have to do after we leave here. And it's just a long day. So on Sunday evenings, I'm just, I'm shot. And I was in the line at Papa John's and there was a young lady behind the register and she had tiny little scars, cut marks all up and down her arms. All, all, going all the way up into her neck and behind her ear. And the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, tell her that I love her and that I've never stopped being her father. And I'm standing there and I said under my breath, out loud, but under my breath, I said, no. And like, this don't make sense to you unless you know me. Like, if you know me, I am not this super spiritual, whimsical person. I'm real normal, real matter of fact, you know. I preach, and under the anointing, my gift operates, and there's all kind of stuff that happens in here. But when, I, when I'm outside, I'm a guy. I'm a normal guy. And it, but he just came on me so strong. I just felt it, you know. Tell her that I love her. And I've never stopped being her father. And there, there's a line of people behind me. There's a manager over there. It's so awkward. Katie just reminded me. And there's a game coming on. My team's playing. You know, and I'm just like, ah, you know. And I get up to the register. And I, at that point, I figured, okay. And I didn't try to preface it or soften it. I didn't try to give an introduction. I didn't say, hello, I'm Jason. I'm a pastor. And I feel, I just said, Holy Spirit of God said to tell you that he loves you and that he never stopped being your father. She fell into a ball on the floor, weeping in the middle of a Papa John's. The manager came over and said, what did you do to her? I put my money on the desk, took my pizza. I went there a few weeks later, and she came from the back, found me in line, and she said, my daddy is a preacher. She said, and I've strayed from the things of God, and I've backslidden, and I've made some horrible decisions. And I was thinking about killing myself when I got off work that night. She said, but when you said what you said, she said, I felt the spirit of God come all over me. She said, I was back at church last Sunday morning.
point is, point is, a lot of times you don't get those confirmations later on. A lot of times you leave the Papa John's and you never go back and you never hear anything that, that settles that you were on target. But the point is, is that if you follow the simple instructions of the Holy Spirit, even when they don't make sense to your natural mind, be amazed at the things God can do in your life, in your life. Every person bow your head. If you're hurting, going through pain, please come down to the altar. The elders are coming right now. We're going to lay hands on every person that's here. If you're hurting, if you're hurting, you need prayer, come, come. If you're in the balcony, come. If you're in the back, come. Come. Elders, begin to move quickly through the people and lay your hands on them and pray for them.
me. I know you can. I know you will. I'm a sinner. I've committed sin. But I understand that you suffered in your body and you died on the cross to forgive my penalty, to accept my judgment. And today, I accept that sacrifice. I accept you, Jesus. I ask you to be Lord of my life. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me and fill me with your spirit and use and use my problems as your platform to show forth your mighty power in Jesus name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand praise.